In our primary education, we had report cards, and it was a method that could tell us the subjects that we were on track with or where we were falling short and monitoring our progress. Well, the BQA audit serves in that capacity for our industry as it evolved out of an era over 30 years ago in which consumer demand was in the tank. If we were going to restore consumer demand for beef at the time, we needed to begin to think like manufacturers that had adopted quality management techniques in their manufacturing systems. So the industry took the bull by the horns, so to speak, and began issuing a BQA audit every five years. We don't want to lose our operational freedom, but we do want our industry to improve and we do want to meet consumer demand. Today, we'll review the results of the latest audit from the positives to the areas needing improvements, what it means to us as ranchers, and at the end of the day, for the consumer. As the BQA program starts getting out there to consumers, that's really going to enhance their trust in our program and in our product. The results of the BQA audit, its impact on us as ranchers on today's episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, your host, and glad to have you along on our program here today. We have got a lot to talk about, so I'm not going to dilly-dally around with too much here at the front end of our show. Our, our guest today, as we talk about the results of the BQA audit, uh, we have three guests. Trey Patterson, who is the CEO of the Padlock Ranch and Company out of Wyoming and Montana, will be joining us. He's also the chair of the Beef Quality Assurance Advisory Group. Dr. Keith Belk, uh, who is with Colorado at a state university, but he's also been a part of these audits since they began back in the 90s. Uh, also, Libby Bigler, who is the coordinator for the Colorado Beef Quality Assurance Program, will be joining us as well. We're going to go through this uh, audit, not only where it started, why it started, but also what we're pulling out of that. Now it's been affecting our beef industry and also what we need to be focusing on as we move forward. So as I said before, we've got a lot to talk about with these three. I'm excited to have them here and share that conversation here here with you today. Right now, let's check in and thank our sponsors today of the Working Ranch Radio Show. All Flex, cattle identification and record keeping should be easy and you can now tie your visual tag, your EID tag and your genetic data to one management number with All Flex match sets. Find out more at allflexusa.com. Inherit Select from Zoetis, providing commercial cow-calf producers with genetic insights to make replacement female selection and breeding decisions. You can find out more at Inherit progress.com. The American Gelvy Association, here's a highly fertile, moderately framed cow that raises high-performing calves even in tough environments. The Gelvy cow's efficient use of resources make her the picture of sustainability in today's modern beef industry. Find out more at gelvy.org. MLS Tubs, don't gamble with breeding season this year. MLS Tubs are a sure bet. Learn more at mlstubs.com. And finally, Tank Toad, your remote water monitoring system it's what we use here on the X-Ring Ranch. To find out more, go to their website, tanktoad.com, or give them a call at 801-252-6135. Well, now it's time to check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, fresh off his trip up to Calgary for the Beef Improvement Federation Convention. Here he is with this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Hope you're having a great summer. Uh, special shout out to my friend Steve, who I met up in Calgary at the BIF. He's probably on his way to the dump in Wisconsin. Now, remember, Steve, don't bring back more stuff from the dump than you took there. Now, Justin, you brought this to my attention. It's a column by Jack Hubbard. It first appeared in meetingplace.com and it talks about the animal rights community and how they are, I mean, basically, we've we've known this for many, many years, how they infiltrate, how they um, disrupt and that sort of thing. Uh, But it's getting a little bit different. They're kind of cranking it up. So why don't you fill the folks in on, uh, just kind of bring them up to speed on this column. It's got a lot of good information in it. Thank you. 
All right, Captain. Well, yeah, the title of the of the article is called Snakes in the Hen House, and it was written by Jack Hubbard. Now, he is a, a part owner and uh, a partner for Berman. They're an ag advocacy firm in Washington, D.C. area, and they work and counsel clients in the agriculture sector. As he was pointing out in this article, how some of the new tactics being deployed by animal rights groups is to infiltrate and co-opt with advocacy groups, politicians, even ranchers, farmers ourselves, uh, really unknowingly for on our side of things unknowingly they get in into these organizations an example that he gave in here was a guy by the name of marty irby who was a lobbyist with the humane society of the united states hsus we've all heard of that organization been a part uh, of moving and trying to move forward anti-animal agriculture uh, legislation this last spring turning up as the new chief operating officer of FreedomWorks. Now, FreedomWorks is a Tea Party conservative group. And after his hire, uh, FreedomWorks then began targeting uh, and uh, legislation that was pushed by HSUS. Now, fortunately, this attempt of hijacking didn't last too long as once FreedomWorks learned of Irby's background, then they uh, kicked him out of that job after him being only there nine weeks. But nevertheless, it's something to be aware of. In fact, here's another example of another organization in which Irby has has had some influence in and that's the organization for competitive markets so just be aware of all the things that are going out there and the organizations that you're a part of well stay with us when we come back we're going to get into our main subject here today that being a review and an assessment of the latest BQA audit we'll be back on the working ranch radio show after this Every year you pick your replacement heifers. Some become profitable cows, others disappoint. How can you make more reliable selections? Genetic testing. Commercial cow-calf producers like you are using Inherit Select from Zoetis. You gain valuable predictions, including cow fertility, size and soundness, feed efficiency, growth and carcass merit, as well as easy to use economic indexes. This improves your selection, breeding, and marketing decisions. Request a call from InheritProgress.com and ask about free TSUs to get you started. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, your host, and glad to have you on our program today as we head now into our featured interview. A couple of weeks ago, the Captain Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, mentioned uh, and brought up in his Tim's Two Cents about the recent BQA audit. And I thought it would be a good time uh, now that that has come to has come out, the, the information is out there to really get a little bit more information about the BQA audit. If you wonder what that is, well, today is the show where you're going to hear more about what it is, its purpose in our industry, and as we move forward in our industry, where it plays a part in that. I'm going to introduce my guest here now today. Uh, my first guest, uh, Dr. Keith Bilk. He is a professor for the Center for Meat Safety and Quality at Colorado State University. Also, Libby Bigler, who is uh, the Colorado Beef Quality Assurance Coordinator at Colorado State University, and Trey Patterson, who is the CEO of the Padlock Ranch Company. They have a large ranch in Wyoming and Montana and also chairman of the Beef Quality Assurance Advisory Group. And uh, all you, you three joining us, I appreciate you being here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. We're glad to be here. All right. Well, Trey, let's get started with you as the chairman of the Beef Quality Assurance Advisory Group. I want to set some things to start, I guess, before we start getting into the the recent audit. And also, I'll be moving to Dr. Bilk on some questions because I know he's had a history of being a part of these audits uh, in the last several years. But to set up, you know, initially the significance of really the purpose of the BQA audit. Well, this National Beef Quality Audit really gives us a snapshot of where we're at in the industry. It gives us an idea of where we have made successes, and it also provides some benchmarks that we can strive to achieve. And they always identify some shortcomings that we can work on. I think about this as an opportunity for the National Beef Quality Audit to really help those of us in production get out of our silos that we spend most of our time in, right? Doing what we do and stop and take a look at the entire industry and and how we can contribute to its its continued improvement, both in the quality of beef, but in efficiency and customer acceptance of what we're producing. And so it's from a BQA standpoint, you know, BQA is is science-based education uh, of how to achieve 
uh, high quality beef production, consumer acceptance of beef, and the data that's generated from the beef quality audit helps advise us on how to develop that programming for beef quality assurance. Mm-hmm. Dr. Bilk, I want to go to you because I know you have been a part of these audits from a, from the from the scientific side of it or the study side of it. And so from your perspective on this, with the, the history of these audits, let's talk about that part of it, the significance and where you've seen this evolve over the last several of years and, and in your participation of these audits. Well, I'm glad you discussed that. Um, I'm getting to be an old guy. And so <laughs> I've been around and helped conduct the first one and everyone in between. Um, I think there's two of us left that have been involved with all of the audits. Okay. But uh, the reason for conducting the audit and the reason that they were initially started was that there was an economist that worked for the National Cattlemen's Association in the late 1980s and, and in 1990. His name was Dr. Chuck Lambert. Dr. Lambert went on to do great things in, in the federal government, but at the time he published a paper that was based on W. Edwards Deming's philosophies that um, if we were going to restore consumer demand for beef at the time, we needed to begin to think like manufacturers that had adopted quality management techniques in their manufacturing systems to improve both um, the desirability of the product that we were selling and also reduce the cost of it. And so the purpose of the audit initially um, following Dr. Lambert's analysis was to figure out ways of measuring um, the things that we do really well and the things that we don't do so well so that we could manage those things as, as the beef industry moved forward. You'll recall that at the time, and in the late 1980s, we were struggling with beef demand. Mm-hmm. Per capita consumption was declining for beef. Um, we were competing with new protein sources that were in the marketplace, and, and demand for beef was hurting. And so this was an opportunity to try and figure out how we could manage the system differently to restore that demand for our product. And, and so that's where the initial audits have come from. And they've been very successful in achieving that, in my opinion. Uh, we've made a lot of adjustments as a consequence of things we've learned during completion of these national beef quality audits that have resulted in, in a net financial uh, benefit to, to all of the segments of the beef supply chain. Mm-hmm. Dr. Bilk, I want to stay with you real quick uh, because, as you said, you've been a part of these audits from the from the very beginning. And, and I was telling you guys before we went on air, and I would encourage folks to do this. Search in your web browser the 1991 BQA audit. Read through that. I'm going to I'm going to ask this in a question. The first line says of the of that executive summary says by the year 2001, the beef industry must improve the quality and consistency of its product and become more competitive with alternate protein sources. I thought just that that element in and where from then as we were coming out of the 1980s, I mean, I know you're involved with the stock show down in Denver. We've all seen the stock show pictures that has started in the 1950s all the way till what we have today. And there was a period of time when we were able to almost walk underneath these cattle. So we were coming out of the 80s with not only high interest rates, but high flanked cattle as well. And so we, we see a really from your point from when you started till now, there has been pretty significant changes with our industry. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and I think that that has manifested itself in, in several ways. Um, it starts with how cattlemen, you know, handle and raise their, their cattle and how they treat them and, and how they manage them, um, which Trey talked about. And um, it and then it, from there, it, it's things like better understanding um, how do we improve uniformity in the beef supply? How do we address things that uh, relate to consumer desirability, like like beef eating quality and satisfaction. And all of those things in one form or another have been a consequence of things we learned in the National Beef Quality Audits. And so, um, yeah, kudos to the industry. They've done a tremendous job in using this information to manage their production systems. Mm-hmm. 
Libby, I want to go to you now. Uh, Libby Bigler is the coordinator for the Colorado Beef Quality Assurance Program. And one of one of the ways I know, Libby, in your perspective of this is, as Dr. Bilk was saying, I mean, we the initial concept of this is how do we look at our industry from uh, from a manufacturing standpoint and getting to the point that we have some consistency in our product and various things of that nature. From your side of things, you really see the data being utilized at the very end of the process in this. Explain how this information, these audits have impacted our relationship with the consumers and the retailers. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me. As a Beef Quality Assurance State Coordinator, there are many of us across the country, um, at least one in each state. And of course, we go around and we train cattle producers on these foundational management practices that should be standardized across the industry. Um, And without things like the National Beef Quality Audit, I think that messaging could get pretty stagnant. And I think sometimes some producers who've gone through beef quality assurance, you know, in the early 90s, when the big thing coming out of the National Beef Quality Audit was the issue with injection site abscesses, people really only think about BQA being give shots in the neck, right? Make sure you give sub Q when it says sub Q. And that is one of the core findings from those early National Beef Quality Audits that we use in the BQA program. But the way that it's set up to do these national beef quality audits every five years helps us benchmark and find those things that we're doing good every five years that we can reiterate in our BQA trainings. But also, like Trey mentioned, some of those challenges or maybe shortcomings that we need to focus on again and again in these beef quality assurance trainings. So the BQA program changes and grows with the industry, with consumer preferences, and also with the data that we find in the national beef quality audits. And and the BQA program really is the conduit do it between the data that we find and really disseminating that information to the producer so that we can make production adjustments and then ultimately have a better product for consumers and something that they'll accept as well. Before we head to break here, Trey, I want to go back to you with one more question and something that came into my head as I was going through this, as we find ourselves in the ranching industry, a lot of us being wanting to be very independent. And I, I would say that if you probably took us a, uh, a survey across most of us in the industry, we would like a little bit less government interference in what we do. And I only bring that back to a for, full circle to say this is that one of the things that came to my mind about the BQA audit was the, was the fact that it it's really us as an industry self-regulating ourselves instead of somebody coming in, big brother from the outside coming in and saying, well, this is what you need to do. This was a way that the industry, and I think Dr. Bilk mentioned that earlier on. I mean, they identified that, that man, if we don't get a grasp on this early on, it's going to affect us down the road. And really it's, so all of that to say is the BQA audit and the BQ and what we're doing there with the BQA program is really a way for the industry to self-regulate itself. That is an excellent point, and you are you're exactly right. That's the power of this data is it is internal. And as, as we use this data in our in our educational effort, efforts through beef quality assurance training, it is important for us to realize that this is producer owned. This is our program and it's science based. And what we do know is that if we do not do this ourselves, number one, we could lose market share, right, from competition with other proteins. But two, our consumers are telling us today that they have concerns. So this fact that we own this program as producers, that it's science-based, like data from the National Beef Quality Audit, I think is a critical point. And that's what we get passionate about from our standpoint, from BQA, and as a producer is that we do not want uh, to be, we don't want to lose our operational freedom, but we do want our industry to improve and we do want to meet consumer demands. So that's what this is all about. I think that's a very powerful mm-hmm. point you make. Well, stay with us, folks. We're talking BQA audit here today. And so far, we've yet to get into the data. We will, but I thought it was important that we sort of set this up just a little bit before we get into that. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk about not only the data itself, but we're also going to get into what were the points that they go through on a normal audit that they're looking at to pull this data together. We're going to talk about that, how this all comes together when we return here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. 
A sustainable ranch is one that can do more with less. And for beef producers, it can start right at the herd level with a cow that's efficient with her resources and environment. And in today's modern industry, Gelvie females are the picture of sustainability. Gelvie and Balancer cattle are early maturing with maternal superiority through increased longevity, added fertility, and more pounds of calf wean per cow exposed. Adaptable, versatile, and sustainable. All factors that have a positive impact on your bottom line. Gelvie influenced females, the smart, reliable, and profitable maternal choice for achieving sustainability in today's modern beef industry. Be sustainable, breed Gelvie. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills, your host. We're glad to have you on our program today. Our focus of this show today is reviewing and looking through the BQA audit. As we were hearing uh, earlier in the first segment, uh, our guest today, Dr. Keith Belk, who is a professor for the Center for Meat Safety and Quality at Colorado State University. He's been with the program since the initial audits back in 1991. Uh, Libby Bigler, who is the coordinator for the Colorado Beef Quality Assurance Program at Colorado State University. University and Trey Patterson, who is the chairman of the Beef Quality Assurance Advisory Group, but also sits on that group as a representative to many of us, like like you and I that are in the ranching industry. He is the CEO of the Padlock Ranch Company in Wyoming and Montana. Again, thanks to you three for being on the on the show here today. As we heard a little bit of the information, the history about how this evolved, Dr. Belk, I want to go to you now in this because since you were have been a part of this and for many years, let's go with with really the design of this what where are we deriving the information from yeah good question so the audit has always been divided into what we call three phases the first phase of the study is a structured and designed interview process where we conduct face-to-face interviews with people that make purchasing decisions for beef in the supply chain Um, that that ends up covering all of the market sectors downstream from uh, essentially the feedlot. So it starts at the packing part of the industry and, and on then all the way down to, um, to the retailers and to food service. We also interview people that are peripherally associated with the industry, like government folks and trade organizations that represent producers, and, and we solicit their opinion. Phase two of the audit is we go into packing companies, uh, facilities all over the the country. Uh, And this takes a number of universities and and co-investigators that are involved in this process. And uh, we we actually measure um, starting with the unloading at the the dock of the packing plant, the a, a number of things tied to the livestock as they arrive at the packing plants. Uh, we follow them into the slaughter floor and we keep track of defects that occur as the cattle are processed and then uh, and then from there we follow them into the sales cooler where we we collect information tied to the carcasses that are being produced and it's sort of a snapshot in time of what is currently being produced we now also have access all of the the major packing companies have installed grading cameras in their sales coolers and so we're also able to obtain from those packers with their permission uh, you know a a significant amount of data that's tied to uh, those camera systems so it allows us to span a greater breadth of time in terms of what they're actually producing from a grade perspective phase three is is really managed by michaela clauser at ncba and that is the process where we bring in leadership Uh, from all the marketing sectors of the industry into a central location. And this audit, we did it in Denver. And uh, these these producer leaders hear the information that we've uh, just completed gathering. And then they they sort of derive from that strategic things that we should be working on for the next five years until the next audit is conducted. And so we call that the strategic workshop. And so that's really the three phases of the study as it's conducted. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's jump into the latest audit of 2020. It's 22. Technically, it should have been 21. We're going to get into why it's 22 instead of 21, too, because I'm sure every five years uh, during that time frame where we've had there's, uh, those, these audits, there's been some anomalies that wasn't planned for and things change. 
But you got to think that this last five-year audit deal had probably some very significant changes to our economy, to our society, to our industry as a whole that we probably hadn't seen in any other five-year span. For example, we finished out 2016 and 17 with high cattle markets. COVID hit in 2020. Then we've been in a pretty good drought situation for different parts of the country at different times that also see a low cattle market. Now, we took all those factors in and with all of that dr bill let's talk about the data that came out of this audit yeah well, i think you've made some excellent points there a lot of things happened since the last audit was conducted that have affected i think the results of this audit um, but I'll, I'll hit on some high mm -hmm. points but for anybody that's interested all of the data from this current uh, 2022 audit is now available on the website bqa.org and so anybody that has an interest in looking into the details of of the results that we've collected that data is now public and available to them but i'll, I'll hit some high points that i think that we learned in, in this particular audit uh, in phase one where we do the face-to-face -face interviews i think that we learned that the branded beef concept has continued to grow um, there's a real opportunity to add value to the to the marketing chain for beef by differentiating products that hits particular consumer targets. And we've the industry's done a really good job of doing that. And so we continue to see a greater number of branded product lines being marketed that resonate with several different uh, niches in, in the marketplace. Downstream sectors uh, tied to the, uh, the beef production chain are using uh, basically visual characteristics that relate to, I would say, breed when, they, when they're making purchasing decisions. And so that offers some opportunities to, to some breeds and to some attributes tied to the genetics of the cattle. Um, an interesting feature that we've that really happened in between 2016 and 2022 uh, was that food safety is no longer really considered to be a purchasing characteristic that's of concern when they're making the decision to buy something or not. It's an expectation for the product. And so um, I think anybody that's buying beef at any sector of the industry has an expectation that everybody involved in the production of beef has invested in producing a safe product. And so that's just a way of doing business today, whereas that was not necessarily the case um, and even in 2016. All the market sectors now believe that traceability um, means being able to track cattle all the way back to the origin. And that's something that uh, continues to appear to be a need mm -hmm. if we're going to satisfy the marketplace for beef. Um, I think we've made strides towards getting there, but, but we're not there yet. And so there's an opportunity there. Sustainability, as you know, has become a big feature for the industry. It's primarily viewed as an environmental topic right now in the market channels that are purchasing beef. But um, interestingly enough, everybody knows that uh, this could be something that affects the purchasing decision, but they don't know what their own companies are doing to address sustainability, mm -hmm. environmental concerns and climate change concerns. And so I think that's something that we'll see mature perhaps during the next five years. Um, uniformity of weight and size is still a big concern for the industry. Um, retailers don't like getting, you know, an 18-pound ribeye and then a 26-pound ribeye in the same box. It becomes challenging for them to merchandise those products. Um, we, we continue to really perform well as uh, from the eating perspective, eating quality perspective. And uh, I think that that continues to be the the foundation upon which we create beef demand. And so we, we, we want to make sure that we don't relax in terms of um, the importance of that. And then on the market cow and bull side, um, the image of the market cow and bull sector has actually improved since the last audit was conducted. We think that because that's because people are beginning to see that this has created a secondary market for the product of the cow-calf industry. Uh, the we used to think about market cows and bulls as a byproduct, but they're not really a byproduct. They're another product of that industry. And I think people are seeing that secondary merchandising opportunity 
tied to that portion of the industry. We have learned that there's some opportunities that exist in the market count in both sectors and really all of the sectors of the beef industry that are tied to additional educational needs uh, in the BQA program. One of those is timely culling. We, you know, it's, and that's going to be more important than ever as we have, you know, record low cow supplies available in the marketplace. The other thing that came up, and this is particularly due to a change in, um, I would say, policy that the um, USDA inspectors have relative to inspection for food safety. But um, we're seeing um, more importance and more emphasis on the need to remove foreign object contamination that's occurring in product. And primarily birdshot is, is one of the main mm -hmm. culprits. Uh, birdshot has become a, a big foreign object contaminant that has created some serious issues for the industry. Um, on phase two, we learned quite a bit about the industry and, and there were some changes between what happened in 2016 and now. One of the coolest things I think that has happened is the number of cattle grading prime and choice has increased dramatically since 2016. Um, what that means is that producers have selected for, you know, deposition of marbling and grade. And so we've improved dramatically in that area. We had about 7% prime in this audit. And that used to always be our target, not something yeah. we expected to actually see. <laughs> yeah. so, so kudos to producers mm -hmm. for hitting that. Um, the composition of the cattle as a consequence of, you know, less expensive feed and more cattle has, has been has declined a bit. Uh, the cattle are a little fatter and every year they become heavier. And so that's still an issue that we need to address. But um, overall, the quality is, is better. Um, liver abscess rates were about the same as we saw in the last audit. That's still a problem that we need to address in the industry. We're about 17%, 18% on average across the industry of the livers are being condemned for abscesses. We're seeing about that same number in the market count bull industry as well. And so that's an opportunity for us to improve. Um, the mobility of cattle has remained relatively constant. There was a few differences if you compared cows and bulls versus the fed cattle supply. But one of the things we're noticing is although they're not as bad as they were at one time, we're seeing more bruising on carcasses across the board. Um, as the cattle are shipped to market, you know, they continue to become larger and larger and larger every single year we're making cattle bigger. And as a consequence, we think that the facilities and the equipment that we use to handle them, um, the cattle have outgrown that the capabilities of that equipment and those facilities in size. And so we have things happening like cattle hitting their backs on trailer gates and things like that. And it's causing us to see a greater number of bruises. And although they're not really huge and significant bruises, they're still having an impact on the value of the product and, and what can be paid out as a consequence of that. So that's an opportunity for us to get better. Mm -hmm. um, the last thing I would say about this is that the industry has been really creative in, in addressing opportunities for new kinds of products that are out there. And I mentioned the fact that there's more differentiation in the branded beef programs. The same is true in the market count bull industry. And so we're seeing more differentiation and greater use of differing cuts for market cows and bulls. And that's adding value back into the production stream. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take a break here. When we come back, folks, we're going to break this information down a little bit further. Trey Patterson with the Padlock Ranch, Libby Bigler with the Colorado Beef Quality Assurance Program also joining us. And we're going to hear from their perspective, of course, as Libby uh, working with the retailers, the consumer side of things. And of course, Trey, very understanding from the perspective of us as ranchers. What's his interpretation of that? Things that are working well. What are the things we need to be making some improvements? on. Stay with us. We're going to talk about those when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Now let's hear what Two Rivers Land and Cattle of Miami County, Kansas has to say about MLS tubs. MLS number one tubs have given my operation a big boost. We had over 50% of our cows serviced in the first 21 days and 93% of our heifers bred in 60 days this past year. The tub's release rate is consistent and convenient for our cattle row crop operation. We made a good decision switching to MLS. 
Don't gamble with breeding season. MLS Tubs are a sure bet. Learn more about MLS Tubs at MLSTubs.com. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Our focus of our program here today is reviewing the recent BQA audit. Uh, we've had some great conversation already to uh, in our program today as we heard the history of it. In the last segment, Dr. Keith Bilk, who is our one of our guests, giving us the information that came out of this year's report, both uh, things where we've seen improvements and places where we need to see more improvements. Other guests joining me here today, Libby Bigler, who is the coordinator for the Colorado Beef Quality Assurance Program and Trey Patterson, uh, CEO of the Padlock Ranch and Company out of uh, in Wyoming and Montana, but also sets as the chair of the Beef Quality Assurance Advisory Group. Trey and Libby, as we look to you now as both uh, from different perspectives, Libby, uh, from your perspective of looking at this data and how it's going to affect us uh, to the retailers and so forth, Trey, definitely a deep understanding from the ranching perspective. When we look at this report, Trey, we'll go with you first. What's your takeaway from it about where we've been at and where we're going and where we need to be at? I think as I look at the data, we have some things we can be really excited about. The quality and efficiency of beef production uh, is outstanding in the industry right now. That doesn't mean we have arrived on any of this. We want to continue to to strive for improvement. But I look at this as how resilient our industry was coming through the pandemic. We had a lot of challenges, uh, disruptions in supply chains, and, and different uh, market outlets from the hotel restaurant industry to retail. And what we found is people wanted beef and it was sometimes uh, a little harder to get for a period of time and it was maybe in a different form, but they love our product. I attribute that back to the efforts we've put into this in the past. You know, the, the, what the beef quality audit does is we measure we analyze and what we do as an industry is we respond and we've done that. We've made tremendous improvements in uh, reducing carcass defects, both on the fed and non-fed side. Uh, we've made uh, tremendous improvements in quality, uh, quality grade as Dr. Belt mentioned. And, and I think those things we can celebrate. The, the Go back to the early audit in 91 mm-hmm. that you talked about if you go back and read that, and as Libby mentioned earlier, injection site lesions were huge. This this has been effective in us being able to uh, reduce those significantly. And so, you know, the data that comes from the audit and our programming through BQA works. And so now we spin that around to say, well, what do we need to continue to work on? Mm-hmm. You know, let's take the the non-Fed, the market cow and bull side. One of the things we saw in this audit was that the number of animals that were too thin or lightly muscled, well, that incidence was up some. That's been a focus area for, for some time and we've made improvement. And some of that could be related to the, the drought, right? With the whole Western United States was in drought, but we still have to be able to understand the principle behind that is we're trying to put quality meat in the system, timely culling of these animals before they get too thin and too light muscles so they can contribute to that, I think is important. We can't discount the importance of the non-fed cattle, these market cows and bulls to our industry. You know, another thing that came out in that was that the full bags of cows mm-hmm. that are shipped to harvest with full bags, that's actually a contaminant. Yeah. Uh, because if, the, if that during the processing, uh, pro, and during that process, if those bags break and, and milk is on the meat, that's a contaminant. It creates tremendous waste. So there's things as producers we can do uh, to improve, do what we can to improve the quality going in on those on those sides. You know, the, the bruising aspect in both the fed and non-fed animals, you know, the severity of that bruising is not bad, but the prevalence is up, as Dr. Belt mentioned. We just, we have to continue to strive to have the facilities and equipment and processes to reduce that. One of the exciting things in that area, I think, is the programming that B, that the BQA program is doing in BQA transportation. You know, of the, of the cattle coming into the plants, uh, 91% of those in the fed plants, the, the transporters were BQA certified and over 63% on the non-fed. So that means we've got their attention, right? We've got a program to address some of these things. 
Obviously, we have some equipment issues to work on, but I think that's a real positive that that's taken off from the transportation standpoint. These issues, you know, from a producer perspective, Justin, of having foreign objects like birdshot and beef, we cannot have any tolerance in our industry for that. It creates tremendous waste. I mean, they're they're catching this this material, but think of the product that has to be thrown away as it goes into further processing. 100% of the non-fed plants reported finding foreign objects and about half of the fed plants. Now we don't know the incidence of that. This audit wasn't designed to uh, to be able to ascertain what the incidence of that are, but we know it's present. And I think just making people aware that, you know, I, and I, we don't really know how how that's getting in there, but I, I think that people need to be aware that, that those are, you know, birdshot for instance, is penetrating the hide. It creates a lot of waste. And it's certainly not an image we want out there in our industry, right? That we, we just can't have that kind of stuff going on. Uh, and so we'll, we'll be ramping up our educational efforts in those areas. You know, I think too, when I think about opportunities, uh, this traceability issue that Dr. Belt mentioned is a big deal. And it, so just take COVID for instance, mm-hmm. take what we went through as human beings and we saw how fast an infectious disease can spread. And what happened even faster than the spread of infectious disease was regulation. Yeah. And if we have the ability in our industry to, to trace animals back to the source of infectious disease and through good biosecurity, be able to contain that, we can thwart off, I think, a lot of those effects that, that could have tremendous uh, negative impacts on our industry. I'd hate to think of what that would look like. Mm-hmm. And so, again, like you mentioned earlier, yes, we don't want... Uh, a, a bunch of regulation and rules. We want to keep our operational freedom. We have to work at the speed of commerce, but let's deal with this as an industry, uh, like like we have and like we can do, and make sure we get this, these programs in place. So those are some of the things that just jumped out to me as I looked at these data and and uh, analyzed kind of where we're at. You bet, Libby. I'm going to go to you next because as coordinator for the Colorado Beef Quality Assurance Program. As I said before, when I introduced you before, you're kind of the one that that works with those on the end game in this whole deal, whether it's the the consumer, the retailer. So as you pull away from this year's audit report, what are you pulling out of that that you feel, A, you're good about, but boy, here's some areas we really need to focus on. Yeah, um, I think there's a few key areas that make the most sense for us to build on our BQA foundation. And, and we've already heard those from Dr. Belk and from Trey. But I think a couple of the areas that we really want to start focusing on that maybe have slid off the radar for some folks, of course, first and foremost, I think would be that foreign object issue. I know back 20 years ago or so, Dr. Belk, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a a promotion that we talked about that was something about get the lead out of Mm -hmm. cattle. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times producers raise their eyebrows at the fact that we do have birdshot showing up in carcasses. And so from my perspective as an educator of producers, you know, Trey says, we're not sure where it comes from. We aren't sure exactly where it comes from, but it is animal husbandry related foreign objects that we're finding. So producers taking accountability for that is a big key here, knowing that shotguns are not an approved handling device. And even if it is coming from hunters, you know, if we're running cattle on public lands, it's up to us to figure out a way to educate those hunters um, about the fact that we have cattle on this forest allotment or whatever it is. Um, And so really taking accountability for that from the animal husbandry side of things is going to be key in our educational platform. A couple of other things relating to things like bruising or like timely culling. um, We've really ramped up our efforts in educating producers about cattle behavior and well-being and stockmanship and how to handle cattle. So Certainly, we do have some concerns with uh, our facilities and the sizing and, and updating of those facilities being an issue when cattle are getting bigger. But we also can start at the ground and say, let's educate folks on how cattle should be handled effectively to minimize things like bruising. And then on the other end of things, timely culling is a big one. Um, We talked a little bit about drivers starting to pick up the BQA transportation program, and that's a really good educational platform for them um, when they're handling uh, cull animals or any, any kind of animal for that matter, but really educating producers and even employees at sale barns and those kind of folks on 
what cattle need to look like in order to make a trip. Can they withstand withstand the rigors of transport from a body condition standpoint or a mobility standpoint? So we're trying to educate cattle producers on some uh, scoring methods out there when it comes to body condition. I think a lot of folks know that, but also we have a new mobility scoring system that really helps us to educate folks on whether or not cattle can make that ride. And that's going to give us some benefits when it comes to, first of all, well-being of those animals. It's also going to improve consumer perception because when you think about cattle over the road, they're a moving billboard for our industry. And so we want to make sure cattle are in the best condition possible when they're on those trailers. And then at the end of the day, it's really going to add value to producers on that secondary market, like Dr. Belk was talking about, of those coal animals or market cows and bulls that get out there. So those are some primary areas that we're revamping or uh, enhancing our educational materials for cattle producers as they become BQA certified. And then as the BQA program starts getting out there to consumers, that's really going to enhance their trust in our program and in our product. Mm -hmm. Well, guys, we're just about out of time here. I'm Trey. I'm going to go back to you for our final comments here as chairman of the BQA advisory group. Uh, this program here speaks primarily to ranchers, uh, feedlot folks, cat, those in the cattle industry out there. So let's bring it back to us as ranchers. I think sometimes in the past, we see a little bit of maybe infighting within our own industry between, you know, the grassroots guys all the way down the line to the packer. And so from a ranching perspective, and you're on the advisory board, you guys run a pretty good sized cow-calf operation yourself. What's the opportunity in it for us as grassroots ranchers here in the countryside? Yeah, I think the opportunity uh, for us as ranchers is to uh, to be able to own our future and do our part in uh, making sure that we are producing a product that consumers want and desire. And I think the fact that we have the ability to do that ourselves, as we talked about earlier, is really, really important. And I think these things, as I think about it from a uh, a ranch management standpoint, the, the things we talk about uh, implementing uh, go directly to improving our bottom lines as well, both directly, both directly, as I mentioned, but also indirectly on future demand and so on. We just have to embrace this and do our part and really, really own our own future and how we uh, respond to the data like we've heard today. You bet. Well, Trey, I appreciate you joining us here today on the program. You bet. My pleasure. Libby, I appreciate your input as well as coordinator of that. Uh, your insights from that, from that perspective is helpful. Appreciate you being here today. Absolutely. Thank you. And Dr. Bilk, uh, your years of being a part of this, uh, your wealth of knowledge and part of the, and, and bringing that into our show today. Thank you for being here as well. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting us. You bet. And again, folks, if you want to go back and you want to read the latest BQA audit, you can go to their website at bqa.org. Not only can you find the latest results of the last audit, but also ones from the previous years as well. And if you're interested from uh, from our ranching perspective, as far as how you can get involved in the BQA program, well, there's information on that website as well. And I might add, I am recollecting a program that I had uh, this year, in fact, where we were talking about some of the different factors and things that affect a calf's price is where we were looking at implants or no implants or different programs you can be in. Well, one of those factors that came up was about calves that were sold under a BQA certification. You might want to check that out. It might be something to be looking into as well. So uh, just a, thought I'd point that out as well. And some great information here today on the results of that BQA uh, audit. Uh, again, a program that I feel as uh, we heard from our guests here today, that's really moved our industry forward. And I think it continues to be moving us forward in a way that we get to control rather than Big Brother stepping in and doing it from a regulatory standpoint that maybe is not real conducive to the future of our industry. Well, stay with us. Coming up next, meteorologist Don Day joins us as we take a look at our long-term weather. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. 
Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills here as we turn now and take a look at our long-term weather today. Brought to you by AllFlex. Cattle identification and record keeping should be easy. And now you can tie your visual tag, your EID tag, and your genetic data to one management number with the AllFlex match sets. Find out more at their website at allflexusa.com. And joining us now, as he does each and every week, is meteorologist Don Day. And Don, I thought it was interesting as we start to look out for the next seven to 10 days out this last winter, the west part of the country was just cold and a lot of moisture. And we're just kind of flip-flopping that a bit. Yeah, I mean, the the summer heat, I guess, is something we should expect, especially in the desert states this time of year. And uh, you're right. I mean, for the first half of the year, from January through June, places that are really hot right now were actually well below average. And we expect that at least here over the next seven to 10 days, the hottest part of the U.S. will be the West. This would go from uh, Texas through the desert states, then along the West Coast through the Great Basin. It's also going to be pretty warm relative to average up into the Pacific Northwest, up into British Columbia, while the nation's midsection and really a large part of the Midwest and even parts of the East Coast, uh, there won't be any big heat. Temperatures will be close to average, if not a little bit below. So there's kind of a containment of the heat, at least at the moment. Mm -hmm. And we think that's how it's going to go here for another 10 days. Mm -hmm. But with the heat, that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that we're not going to see some moisture because we are starting to see some monsoon activity that could see some afternoon type showers or afternoon type activity going on in some of those areas as well. Yeah. And that's going to help. That will kind of uh, put a a little bit of a, a damper on the temperatures getting too hot. Uh, afternoon and evening thunderstorms have started to move into Arizona, parts of New Mexico, and uh, we'll see that continue. And next week, some of that moisture is going to drift further north. So Utah, the western slope of Colorado that's real dry right now, um, western areas of Wyoming and into Idaho, uh, there's going to be the return chances of showers and thunderstorms, maybe getting as far west as the deserts of California. So while it will still be really, really hot in those areas, those thunderstorms will help. Now, the Pacific Northwest, Central and Northern California, and and Texas, uh, those areas may not be able to get into the the better chances of rain and will continue with the dry weather. Mm -hmm. Well, as we look ahead, I know for for folks, you hate to see those hot temperatures continue into the the parts of the country where they have seen it already this year, but uh, we hope some rain will start to happen down the road here. Yeah, and I do think that the Corn Belt has started to see rain return. I think there's going to be more coming. Now, there are some dry areas, uh, parts of northern Iowa, parts of Wisconsin, parts of Minnesota, eastern areas of Nebraska and and Missouri are still real dry, parts of eastern Kansas as well. But I'm optimistic that in the coming weeks, there will be some rain opportunities in those areas. Okay. All right, Don, we'll appreciate the weather update here. Thank you. And that was meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. His website can be found at dayweather.com where you can find his daily video podcast as well as maybe any weather monitoring type apparatuses you might be interested in buying as well. You can find out information by going to his website at dayweather.com. Our weather today brought to you by AllFlex. Cattle identification and record keeping should be easy. Find out more at allflexusa.com. Stay with us after the break we'll put a wrap on today's show when we return on the working ranch radio show Before we head out here today, I want to remind you, if you missed something on the program today and you want to go back and listen to it, you can go to our podcast site at workingranchradio.com. Might point out last week's show with Dallas Mount, he's always one to be very thought-provoking in his comments. Uh, Principles Over Practice was the title. I encourage you to go back and listen to that as well. Quick thank you to our sponsors today, the American Gelvy Association, All Flex, Inherit Select from Zoetis, MLS Tubs, and Tank Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Be sure to join us at the same time, same place next week or on your favorite podcast provider. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.